Hello everyone, this is Data Driven Formula One with Patrick Hansen, Ghana Pagrebna. Hi Patrick. Hello Ghana, hello all. And we so continue talking uh, we yes. continue talking about Alfa Romeo. So this is part two of uh, our series about uh, mini series about Alfa Romeo. And today we will talk about Formula One, which is the main focus of our podcast. So in the previous part, we've discussed uh, the establishment of the team and uh, quite a turbulent years uh, prior to 1950s, uh, especially, you know, end of the 1920s were very difficult for Alfa Romeo, uh, but uh, the brand survived and now we are at uh, a stage when uh, we're talking about Formula One, uh, which uh, started officially in 1950s, uh, 1950, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, um, and yeah, you can again see uh, the iconic uh, Alfa Romeo <laughs> shape uh, design uh, of the car on your screens. Yeah. And we will talk the about Alfa Romeo, This is the Alfa Romeo 159, the one from the 51 season. season yeah. yeah. Uh, we are speaking here uh, about uh, part four of our uh, episodes about uh, talking about Alfa Romeo. If you're curious about Alfa Romeo's uh, pre-Formula One uh, time, which includes the parts one uh, to three, uh, check out uh, our earlier podcast, uh, uh, our episode, and because now we are starting with 1950. And again, thanks uh, to uh, the press department from uh, Stellantis, uh, Alfa Romeo's um, uh, mother company, as they uh, allowed us to use uh, some pictures from their archive. 1950, it was really uh, dominated uh, the whole season by Alfa Romeo. And uh, you see this practically if you're watching um, the photo three Alfa Romeos, and uh, this was practically how the whole season went. Uh, we called it the manufacturer years because in opposite to later times and to uh, our uh, times today, uh, the, it was uh, the dominated by a manufacturer. Uh, and this is something what should uh, change uh, at least uh, in the end of the 1950s, especially 1960s, where we saw the rise of the smaller, uh, let's say, garish companies. And uh, we mean this uh, in a quite positive way, uh, as the big manufacturers left uh, the sports for various reasons, uh, also maybe too big, too bureaucratic to stay competitive in Formula One. Yeah, that's right. And uh, 19, 1950 was uh, an exciting year because, yeah, this is, uh, we've already talked about Nina Farina in uh, the first part and uh, Nina Farina became the first driving champion uh, in Formula One. And again, we see 1958 uh, car from, uh, uh, from the Alfa Romeo Historic Museum. Uh, uh, the picture was taken by Patrick. So thank you, Patrick, for this. <laughs> And uh, yeah, uh, a very exciting season. And we've spoken about Nina Ferino separately. So please check out a separate episode about him. And generally, uh, yeah, this is a start. This is where it all began. And uh, Alfa Romeo was a big part of that history. 
And you can see how many on, on your screens how many drivers actually have chosen Alfa Romeo as the as their car. And as we 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 talked about before, if you haven't seen previous episodes and you are not knowledgeable about uh, uh, what um, uh, the competition looked like. So it wasn't uh, standard teams as we know uh, of them now. So it's not like you had a constructor, a constructor recruited some drivers. It was the other way around. The drivers would normally purchase a car uh, that they would race in and, and quite a few, um, quite a few drivers were cho choosing Alfa Romeo cars. Yes, and uh, just to show the uh, domination of the, the Alfa Romeo 158, the first three uh, positions had been all Alfa Romeo drivers. Number one, uh, Nino Farina or Giuseppe Farina. On the second position, Juan Manuel Fangio, third, Luigi Fagioli. And uh, the other drivers, they had been invited and just uh, started in uh, some of the races. Uh, for example, uh, Rec uh, Penel, uh, which uh, we uh, spoke about in our episode about the Geoman um, credit uh, racing team. Uh, Piero Taruffi, also very famous uh, Italian uh, driver, a uh, little bit uh, earlier maybe than the 1950s, uh, about whom we will speak a little bit in our episode about uh, six wheelers and other crazy Formula One cars. Something for you uh, looking forward, but you just uh, to show some numbers, uh, you see it wasn't uh, this year, not only the individual skills of uh, the Alfa Romeo drivers, but it was strongly also the machine itself. And Practically, it uh, continues in 1915 that way, even if the dominance uh, wasn't that uh, strong anymore. Uh, this with the coming up of the young uh, Scuderia Ferrari team, but nevertheless, first uh, positions uh, had been Alfa Romeo drivers. Uh, Juan Manuel Fancho with the first of his uh, five championships and then uh, Giuseppe Farina on the second uh, position. And this was the 159, a slightly overworked uh, version of the 5950 car. If you're watching us on uh, YouTube or Spotify, you see uh, here the actual uh, Alfa Romeo drivers. Uh, if we uh, say actual drivers, we are uh, recording this in November 21. So you see, uh, uh, Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Giovanni. Nino Giovanni is, uh, oh yeah, I forgot the name. But, so, but these, are, these are the actual drivers, and especially uh, Kimi Raikkonen uh, had the opportunity to drive this car uh, last year. So uh, that's when uh, the photo was taken. Um, something which you may uh, uh, see uh, today uh, is not only uh, related Formula One, but we see a lot of uh, strong discussions in social uh, media. People are strongly in favor, people are strongly uh, against, and a lot of discussions. And uh, especially in the 2021 season, we had uh, a lot of discussions about the race or the not race in Spa Francochamps because of the heavy rain, uh, where I think most people say uh, it is okay because 
of course, you uh, romanticize a little bit that back in the days, the old school drivers, they didn't care if it's uh, raining, uh, sun is shining, snowing, they just stepped into the cockpit and uh, raced. Yeah, I think I, I think I just, just wanted to say that the previous uh, photo is probably Antonio Giovinazzi, although I'm exactly not sure. Exactly, was the theme. I'm not yes, sure yes, it is whether the that, that, uh, that's the, yeah, because the... No, no, that, that, that's him, right, I was... Okay, cool, yeah, him. but we're back, back to 1951, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just to, to finish my thought, uh, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see these old school drivers in heavy rain, but of course, you have, we have to consider that really a lot of uh, people died uh, in racing and this because they're taking on more risks uh, than drivers do today. Yeah, and uh, also a lot of, uh, like we discussed before, a lot of uh, accidents happened uh, because of the safety, uh, yeah, safety issues uh, on track. Uh, uh, many of the earlier uh, uh, incidents and accidents happened not so much because of the collision between cars, but uh, of um, cars kind of spinning off the track and uh, crashing into the audience and uh, there were practically no barriers and we've discussed kind of many um, uh, many cases of that well uh, particularly if you watch our episode about Nina Farina uh, there we discussed uh, you know he, he was involved in one of the most uh, uh, significant uh, um, incident with audience and that was quite common common to crash into into audience and yeah. luckily that changed with years and already by 1960s we had much safer racing and uh, another thing that we discussed with Patrick a lot uh, a lot of earlier races were street races you basically would uh, drive uh, within the boundaries of the city and of course that didn't help because you know anybody could run in, in into in, you know on into the road so it was not properly sectioned off and all that kind of stuff so yeah in that sense it was uh, yeah indeed very dangerous and not only for the drivers but also for people who were watching uh, for, for the audience of these races yeah and alfa romeo uh, decided uh, at the end of 1950 uh, uh, to leave uh, also as they would have to invest into a new car and as they have been um, uh, part no, it has been owned by the government. Government thought in the 1950s uh, we have to uh, focus uh, first to rebuild uh, Italy and I think they had a quite a good point here and uh, motorsports was not on top of the list so uh, as a governmental owned company Alfa Romeo uh, left uh, the sports and the next year as we discussed in our episode has been dominated by uh, the Ferrari team and uh, Later on in this decade, more and more British teams uh, showed up, uh, small teams, uh, starting on in a garage practically and uh, not, man uh, not manufacturing everything themselves, but uh, buying the motors from one company, buying uh, components from other companies. And uh, this was the uh, successful uh, business concept to win Formula One for a long, long time. Yeah, and um, also, you know, just to to to, um, uh, to to emphasize the the fact that you know how un unpredictable your your position was uh, in the sport. Uh, 
um, we've already discussed uh, in many previous episodes with Patrick that back in the day, even if you were the Formula One champion, you wouldn't uh, guarantee that, that that wouldn't guarantee you a seat next year uh, mm-hmm. with any uh, with any particular team. But in this case, as you can see, the entire team could just exit, even though it was like at the top of the list, uh, you know, just for financial reasons, uh, you know, if you have a sponsor uh, that is not interested anymore, you know, you basically are not not participating anymore. So and that's um, and and that remains uh, one of the kind of uncertainties of the sport is, of course, very um labor intensive and funds intensive and uh, the barriers for entry are very very high yeah i mean uh, we see this up to today we have only one uh, side uh, today we have big uh, companies as mercedes-benz uh, we have uh, renault which mostly do it for marketing reason but on the other hand especially the british teams like let's say mclaren williams they, they are born in formula one and uh being a successful Formula One team is practically their uh, business concept. They don't, well, McLaren sells uh, also some few cars, but they earn money with being a racing team and see it less as a marketing for selling their cars. Yeah, and this was uh, the original concept uh, of Ferrari, right? So they yeah. Uh, essentially, yeah, so Enzo Ferrari was not so much interested in sales. Um, yeah. uh, he was Same. interested in racing, and uh, the, so the luxury car production was just to support the racing the racing function of the of, of Scuderia Ferrari yeah, yeah Auto yes. Delta this is uh, something that uh, Patrick promised last time so <laughs> another brand uh, uh, yeah. for Alfa Romeo that Alfa Romeo was kind of known uh, known under yeah. Auto Delta yeah. Yes, and uh, it is practically a step uh, into the same uh, what we just discussed. Uh, it's uh, Auto Delta was born as a garish uh, company. It was founded by Carlo uh, Kitty together with Ludovico Cisola, an Alfa Romeo uh, dealer, and the idea was to develop, construct, and tune up uh, racing cars, uh, most famously uh, touring cars. Um, but three years uh, later. Alfa Romeo bought uh, this small but innovative company uh, to become uh, their new racing department. Uh, first, uh, for for uh, not directly focusing first on Formula One, but on uh, um, sports car racing and the famous 33. And uh, Carlo Kitty became uh, like uh, the head of the racing department, similar as Enzo Ferrari was. Uh, before a very interesting uh, character, and uh, maybe we'll speak a bit later in a different uh, episode, as he was still involved in a lot of other racing activities, uh, also in Formula One. Um, so he, uh, Carlo Kitty stayed uh, responsible for the racing, uh, and this until 1984, when Alpha uh, uh, left uh, the last time uh, Formula One. And uh, then he founded uh, his own company, Motori Moderni. And this is uh, the uh, provider for the, was the provider for Minardi. And due to this over Minardi, he came back into Formula One. But this, as I said, and promised uh, will be another episode. 
Alfa Romeo practically was uh, out of uh, Formula One in the 1960s. We saw uh, some uh, private uh, small teams, they used Alfa Romeo engines. engines yeah, uh, for yeah. example, in 1962, uh, Peter de Klerk, uh, he created uh, his uh, car, which, the, uh, which you see on the right, if you follow us on YouTube or on a Spotify video. Uh, I mean, he practically did this car himself, so it looks surprisingly professional. And uh, I mean, it looks like pretty much every other 1960, early 1960 race car. And uh, it was called later special because uh, he included uh, an engine from the Alfa Romeo Giulietta. Uh, Peter de Klerk, uh, Dutch name, uh, but uh, he was from uh, South Africa. Um, not surprisingly, a lot of people they have Dutch uh, heritage and this car was uh, driven in uh, Formula One but only in the uh, annual South African uh, Grand Prix and some other uh, non-championship uh, races and even uh, got uh, a podium finish in 1963 at the Rand Grand Prix which I believe was also in South Africa. South Africa, yeah. that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alfa Romeo uh, focused uh, on sports car racing and, uh, and this was uh, quite uh, the focus topics for the manufacturers. So here we see and saw uh, also other brands as uh, Ferrari, as Matra, as uh, Porsche, because uh, these cars looked a little bit more similar than the cars which you can buy and drive on the streets. So practically, uh, Companies uh, let the Gersh team uh, race in Formula One, but thought that uh, that uh, Formula One had been too different than a race than a normal streetcar. Uh, it's not uh, adequate to use Formula One for marketing reasons, and I thought better let we race in the sports car series like uh, Le Mans, but other other reasons, other races. And here, this, uh, here we can use better the marketing effect to sell our cars. And this was also the way for Alfa Romeo, which participated from 1967 up to 1977. Yeah, and of but course, uh, the Alfa Romeo engines, uh, like uh, Patrick said before, were used in uh, some of the... You know, if we, if we take, for example, Indianapolis, uh, you know, that, yeah. that was uh, also a popular choice uh, at the time. So definitely, and yep. so kind of the engines were kind of used and reused and recycled uh, by the racing community a lot uh, at the time. So it's not like uh, Alfa Romeo completely disappeared. So it, it appeared in various, uh, not only in, in, in the, these designs that you see on your screens, so if you're watching us on video, um, uh, but also in this uh, weird and wonderful things that uh, various... Um, racing drivers produced uh, for the races. Yes. Um, Mario Andretti, I remember, said once that uh, these cars, they, even if they look bigger, look different, they're pretty much handled as a Formula One car. And also after uh, Alfa Romeo left 77, the engine uh, went straight into Formula One. Another... Uh, uh, Cooper. <laughs> 
Yeah, another fascinating uh, example uh, of small teams using, for whatever reasons, an Alfa Romeo engine uh, was the 1968 Cooper Alfa Romeo T86C. Uh, it, uh, it was uh, driven, um, it was a sink, it, uh, I think it was uh, driven only in in the in the testing uh, in the tests uh, before the the Sunday. It wasn't uh, used inside the race itself, uh, but it, this example was directly um, done by the Cooper factory team uh, because the whole season, was, Lucien Bianchi was a driver for the Cap Cooper factory team, and. Uh, uh, in, in the 68 year uh, Cooper, they used uh, two kinds of engines, uh, uh, Maserati and also the engines from British uh, uh, Racing uh, M manufacturer. Yeah, BRM. Yeah, yeah BRM. Mm -hmm. So maybe they wanted to try out if uh, for, uh, for next year's Alfa Romeo could have been an option, but it stayed really uh, one time only testing. Uh, something I only found out uh, while investigating uh, this episode. Uh, the photo you see is uh, from the Spa-Francorchamps Race Museum. I must say I hadn't been aware that this museum exists. Quite a shame because uh, I had been quite near this year, so I would have visited it. But this is really uh, the car which is still existing uh, today. Uh, and you can see it in Spa-Francorchamps, I assume. But it's still there. Yeah, in general, I just wanted to add about Cooper cars. Uh, uh, so if, uh, if you watched the previous episodes that we've done with, uh, with Patrick, uh, uh, Cooper cars used uh, all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of parts from yeah. different from different uh, completely different manufacturers, and uh, this was a really uh, really interesting team uh, considering how, how much talent it has produced. Right, and if we talk about uh, Bruce McLaren and uh, you know, so the, some of the big names in the sport, they kind of came out of this Cooper ideas when they would marry completely yeah. unrelated related things in one design and uh, so um, I'm not surprised that they at, at some point used the uh, Alfa, Alfa Romeo engine but uh, in general you know Cooper uh, is uh, kind of reminiscent uh, or, or predecessor uh, ideological predecessor of say Williams team right who kind of does very similar thing when they essentially grab everything, uh, all innovations that are on the market and they try to put it all in their own car. Uh, and uh, this was the kind of the Cooper strategy as well. And um, also, if you watch us on video, you can see this car and it's uh, very much like the karting car, like very, very, very Cooper. So it's uh, very light uh, design. And uh, yeah, you can tell that it was sort of put together from, it's like a Frankenstein monster a little bit because it, you can you can tell that it was put from different, put together from kind of different parts from different uh, manufacturers. Yeah, and also this photo looks very fascinating. Uh, I mean, made me curious to visit that museum. It looks like uh, a garage, uh, people, cars uh, randomly standing together. I mean, uh, besides this, I see, uh, I don't know which car it is, but it was driven by Dieter Quester from Austria and had this uh, funny matchbox uh, advertising these little toy cars. Mm -hmm. Must have been a very nice place to visit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
And then we're coming to McLaren in 1970. Uh, yeah, here, and again, uh, again, this this is uh, kind of the continuation of this Cooper idea, right? So McLaren was uh, originally uh, working uh, for Cooper, and uh, yeah, so all these ideas of kind of uh, grabbing a, an engine from one place and <laughs> uh, bits of chassis from a different place uh, is uh, was very much uh, the idea of the day, and yeah, definitely McLaren was. Uh, uh, kind of inherited those ideas from uh, from the Cooper. Yes, but but also it was a little bit, uh, as I understand it, the other way around. It seems that um, Alfa Romeo uh, commissioned uh, McLaren uh, that they can use one uh, or two cars uh, uh, with their engine. So it was. It seems uh, Alfa Romeo was uh, actively seeking to return uh, to Formula One and looking to do uh, to see how this could be uh, done yeah naturally well you had to produce engines right to put them uh, somewhere so yes. but but, uh, but uh, uh but at the same time like it wouldn't have happened had uh, mcquaren yeah. decided to just you know build a car from scratch so so this uh, uh so i, I agree that uh, the, the, yeah. there was a uh, uh, a thought from both sides, so, so it would be impossible if Alfa Romeo didn't want to produce the, the tech for for McLaren. But equally, it wouldn't have happened if McLaren made a, made the decision to go with a different supplier. Um, exactly. So at that time, uh, 1917, uh, there was the McLaren team and their normal drivers. Let's say that way, they drove the uh, uh, the car with the Cosmos engine, and uh, there had been uh, two. Uh, one to two drivers, Andrea de Adamich and Nani Galli, which have been uh, drivers from Alpha Corse or uh, Alto Delta, sorry, Alto Delta, as it was called at that time. Uh, they, so they drove the 33 and they had been uh, got the, the task to drive the McLaren with the Alfa Romeo engine, which, to be honest, wasn't very successful, uh, in opposite to the McLaren with the Cosworth engine. Yeah. So yeah, so as as you can as you can see, it was uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of uh, experiments for McLaren team at the beginning, and eventually they found their own sort of way. <laughs> but it's still uh, very much, I think, in the in in uh, within the um, DNA of McLaren to try different things, right? Because they yes. had a Honda engines and obviously Mercedes, McLaren Mercedes. Mercedes engines and uh, all sorts. So even even now they kind of tend to experiment, and uh, you never yes. know what is going to come out come out next season in terms of McLaren collaboration with engine producers. So in yeah. in that sense, this is very much still a strategy of McLaren. Yes, and uh, I think someday later when we speak about the nineties, we will also speak about the secret uh, testing at McLaren where Ayrton Senna was testing the Lamborghini engine yes yes which, by the right. way, also connect, which also connects to carlo uh, kitty who was involved in in that project at that time yeah, so really mclaren yes yeah, go ahead, go ahead. okay so really uh, as you said uh, mclaren uh, was really experimenting a lot with engines and always looked what could be the best options technically but also financially 
Yeah, one of my friends uh, worked for McLaren for a long time, and um, uh, he basically was the reliability engineer for like engines. And uh, yeah, it's uh, practically every year there is a new problem. <laughs> so I can I can tell you that it's a, it, yeah it's a challenging job, and uh, definitely considering how McLaren kind of changes uh, the suppliers, uh, it's uh, um, it's very difficult to 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 make sure that the reliability stays uh, sort of constant and uh, you know engines uh, keep keep being reliable but uh, i mean on the other hand it's really cool feature of mclaren team because you know they they managed to uh, succeed with different uh, different engines and different uh, designs around the engine so it's all um, always very exciting like what mclaren is going to 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 choose as a, as a uh, as their uh, engine uh, what what brand they're going to choose as an engine supplier whereas you know for example when we take so it's kind of an example of uh, in a sense horizontal supply chain right whereas yeah. in uh, in uh, um, uh, Ferrari it's all vertical so you essentially just produce everything in house uh, and and that's another way and and yeah. and, and um, in in that sense you're only dependent on your own engineers and how good they are whereas McLaren needs to kind of be more uh, more sensitive to, to the market to what the market offers yeah so it's very interesting yeah. kind of supply chain differences in formula 1 teams that also need yeah. to be taken into account when we talk about uh, uh, Formula One. Yeah, well, nevertheless, uh, not very successful and this may explain why it only stayed one year and Alfa Romeo practically did the same in 1971 uh, with the March team. Um, uh, with, I mean, but nevertheless, the success stayed the same, meaning the both uh, drivers, Andrea de Adamich and uh, Nani Galli, zero points. Uh, interesting, uh, Ronnie Peterson raced uh, this uh, March 7-11 once. Uh, uh, Ronnie Peterson was uh, the March driver using the Cosworth engine. So he used normally the Cosworth engine, but as uh, I'm not sure if there was a technical problem with the car or it uh, not arrived in time at the race deck. So he uh, used uh, the uh, the march with the Alfa Romeo engine at the French Grand Prix. Uh, I think he was doing a little bit better than uh, the two Italians, but um, nevertheless couldn't uh, finish the race as uh, he had to retire due to technical reasons. Yeah, that's right. So not very good uh, sort of years for, for Alfa Romeo in 1970s, the beginning of the 1970s, I was just saying. Yeah, but we also have to say that the March 7-11 wasn't a very good uh, yeah, car. Yeah, design uh, in general. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks very strange. And uh, Niki Lauda famously said that this was the worst car he ever drove. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that happened as well. <laughs> So, uh, car, actually, this would be a good uh, question to our audience. So what do you think is the worst car ever made <laughs> in, in Formula One? So we have a contender here, which is March 711. Um, um, and we, we will be doing a, 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 an episode on six wheelers, uh, which some of them were yeah. really weird and uh, indeed not very usable. But uh, yeah, we were, we were just wondering if you guys have opinions about what you think is the worst car 
ever not team we've uh, we've had some contenders before for team management and all that kind of stuff but in terms of design like what do you think was the worst design uh, of formula one car so let us know yeah. your and, thoughts uh, yeah i not want to in influence you uh, i mean uh, if you search this on google you get of course some uh, top 10 lists and i think in all of these top 10 lists uh, you find also this much 7-eleven <laughs> Yeah, but look, you don't have to agree with the top list. Uh, exactly, just, that's yeah. what I said. I don't <laughs> want to influence you. <laughs> yeah, so you just uh, need to think uh, like what the car that you saw, and uh, you know, uh, and if you uh, if you think about that, then you probably can imagine very quickly a design that uh, was really bad. Yeah. So Alfa Romeo, due to this negative experience, uh, it uh, took a while until they tried it uh, again. And uh, it's again, uh, uh, we have 1976 uh, and uh, with Brabham, uh, uh, Brabham, um, a very successful uh, team. And uh, of course, also a very uh, famous management, uh, Bernie Ecclestone was the owner as you know, he was uh, and still is very hard in negotiations. So uh, at the end, uh, the agreement included that he got the Alfa Romeo engines uh, for free. And yeah, not bad uh, for, for Formula One, considering how much they cost. <laughs> this is like one of the most expensive parts uh, of, of a Formula One car. Yeah, and probably yeah. that's why. And probably that's why they were not uh, so not so great, right? <laughs> it's only ninth place in in the season. So maybe if Bernie spent a few bucks uh, on or a few quid on on those engines, they would have been better. Yeah, I mean, this is the uh, Alfa Romeo engine, 12 cylinder. It was the, the problem was it was uh, quite heavy. Uh, it wasn't designed for Formula One. It was designed for the Alfa Romeo 33. So it wasn't an engine not directly created to be part of a Formula One car. And this maybe had been one of the problems all, uh, all the time uh, in this second return of Alfa Romeo. As you said, um, not very successful. Best uh, driver that year was Carlos Pase. Carlos Reutemann and uh, Rolf Stommelen only uh, drove it uh, uh, once uh, as he had been invited. Um, as his uh, Rolf Stommelen that year was driving a, a, a smaller team which had been uh, which had been problems with taxes, so he. Uh, was taken away the car and uh, but Brabham offered him the third car to uh, race that weekend. Nineteen seventy-seven yeah. and improvement. Getting a little bit improvement. <laughs> yes, the fifth fifth championship uh, with uh, best driver Hans Joachim Stuck. If you followed uh, our first episode, uh, you, you saw uh, uh, the name before uh, as Hans Stuck was driving Auto Union uh, before uh, Formula One and Hans Stuck was Hans-Joachim Stuck's uh, father. So just for you, some nerd knowledge for you. This car... Uh, Looks very nice. I really like uh, the Brabham designs uh, from middle until end of 1970s. Uh, end of 1970s, really uh, wedge design. 
and a very nice looking car. You can see it in the Alfa Romeo Museum in the iconic Martini uh, design. Yeah, 1978 car. Yep. And uh, yeah, the drove that car. <laughs> yeah, and this was also the best year. The car was quite uh, competitive. It wasn't it uh, missing the last step. I mean, it wasn't uh, competitive enough uh, to become a champion, but uh, at least uh, third in the championship. So quite a good car. And what you see <laughs> see here is the famous uh, fan car. Not, uh, it got the, the name doesn't come because it has so many fans, but, uh, but there are a lot of fans who love the car, but because of the fan, which you see right uh, at the back of the car, this uh, Gordon Murray, who was the chef designer at Brabham, uh, found this loophole. And uh, so they interpreted that the car was needed for cooling, but uh, in reality, it was needed for um, creating ground effects. And due to this, both drivers could brake much, much later than the rest uh, of the pack. And uh, the car was only used uh, once in the Swedish Grand Prix, which was won by Niki Lauda. The, I think uh, one of the uh, two victories he had that year. Um, but it wasn't really uh, against the rules, but it was in this uh, gray area. Uh, and uh, Brabham decided to not use it anymore because it was quite clear that uh, FIA would change the regulations or that the other teams would uh, also put fans Object. on the back of the, of the car. So that's why the car was never illegal. It was never forbidden, but Brabham decided uh, to not, not, to it it, not to push it, not to push it. Not to push it, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because, because you could get uh, like sanctions and that would be uh, not nice. Yeah, they probably like FIA probably just told them, you know, like I guess you have to remove it, otherwise, you know, you're gonna yeah. get fined. Yeah, I think uh, like for me, uh, I didn't realize that Nelson Piquet was driving it, so I didn't. Uh, so was he? Uh, yeah. Was he testing? I think only, only. I think he was only testing and maybe testing. participating in one of the. Uh, Prix as a driver. Yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, but I mean, uh, generally, you know, uh, like we said before many times with Patrick that, you know, uh, many designers know how to make uh, cars fast and uh, it's normally a trade-off between what FIA allows and what you can do. And uh, a lot of times it is up, up to interpretation, right? So a lot of uh, teams uh, simply leverage on their understanding of um, uh, of the rules uh, and uh, you know this is one of the examples when that uh, resulted in this interesting uh, modification with the fan at the back um, yeah and and again i, I really love uh, this uh, car design a very edgy very futuristic uh, if you see the photo uh, 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 Brabham Alfa Romeo, they used a complete different Alfa Romeo uh, font, so it's not the, the classic Alfa Romeo font, but something which uh, looks very uh, futuristic. Uh, please remember, we are in 1978. Uh, um, Star Wars was a quite uh, success uh, one year before, so everybody looked for something futuristic lines and uh, he, Alfa Romeo, uh, played a little bit and used a complete different uh, Alfa Romeo uh, font. 
Also, uh, if you're a fan of Niki Lauda, you see here uh, the sponsor uh, Parmalat. Uh, this was he had on his uh, head uh, for many, many, many years as his personal sponsor. This so this Italian milk company. Yeah, and uh, uh, 1979, uh, not they haven't done so well, probably because the yeah. fan was off. Uh, but uh, uh, kind of joking aside, yeah, it was uh, the different design, uh, not so um, aerodynamic. Uh, I think that was kind of one of the yes. main issues there. And of course, the uh, reliability. Uh, really, they have quite a few, they had quite a few reliability problems that year yes. with BT48. Uh, again, this is Braham team. So if you're listening to yes. us, uh, the, the 19, uh, 1979, it was again the Braham um, Alfa Romeo collaboration. Uh, yes, and I think uh, Niki not even uh, finished the season, but decided that's enough for him to drive in circles. And he retired at least temporary from uh, Formula One and motorsports. And generally, I mean, he was just building up his uh, airline. So he was having the focus on aviation and also uh, building up his company. Yeah, but again, nevertheless, we had uh, Nelson Piquet um, driving yeah. uh, this car. And uh, yeah, Nelson Piquet is a big talent. Uh, yes. One of, one, of the, uh, one of the very notable characters uh, in uh, Formula One. Yep, and this was also the last year of this uh, uh, combination, uh, Brabham, Alfa Romeo and Formula One. Both companies uh, would come uh, together again for something completely different, which we also will uh, talk about in this episode. But this was the final uh, year of the Brabham, Alfa Romeo, Formula One team. And Alfa Romeo tried it uh, themselves. Uh, remember that that we said we are in the garish year, garish years. So these all the successful teams had been the small, sl slim uh, companies as Brabham, as McLaren. Uh, but Alfa Romeo decided uh, uh, to enter Formula One as and doing everything. So the car, the engine, and remember this as a governmental-owned company, quite bureaucratic. And uh, the success, uh, not to spoiler, uh, spoiler here, um, wasn't that uh, big, but nevertheless uh, interesting uh, uh, to follow. Uh, this uh, second time Alfa Romeo uh, entered uh, Formula One. So here you see uh, 1971 Alfa Romeo 170C driven by the uh, talented uh, Bruno Giacomelli, a quite young driver at the, that time, and uh, Vittorio Brambilla already in his in his 40s also uh, in some uh, selected races especially Monza drove the second uh, Alfa Romeo this also as Pambilla had a background as a mechanic and so was really quite uh, a supporting race engineer you might say Nineteen eighty, so we are entering the 80s yeah, 1980s, and uh, yeah, we've, um, like Patrick said, that that was the end of, uh, uh, so was the end of collaborations. I mean, this was a standalone Alfa Romeo team. Uh, yep. Again, uh, not uh, particularly successful, but uh, 
um, uh, I mean, uh, when you look at it uh, as well, like uh, if you're watching us on video, you can see that this was already the, very much the, the, the tobacco support years yes. in, in Formula One. And even uh, such iconic brand as Alfa Romeo uh, wore a lot of uh, Marlboro uh, stickers uh, as a, uh, a livery um, on the car and uh, yeah so it was supported by big tobacco but nevertheless uh, that season they were they only reached 11th place um, and uh, yeah essentially kind of uh, the this was the well probably not the beginning of the decline but the you know pretty much the decline of the Alfa Romeo team yep. Yes, and uh, it was not only a lot of uh, Marlboro stickers. Uh, practically, they had been the main sponsor, and even the name was the, the team was named uh, Marlboro Alfa Romeo for the pol yeah. following years. <laughs> so right. interesting. So uh, Marlboro at that time in the early eighties, they had uh, two uh, teams. As also, I think McLaren already had the Marlboro sponsorship. So quite uh, difficult uh, to distinguish the two cars. Well, the big difference is that the one one was quite at the top and the one was <clears throat> more the back. Yeah, yeah. You could you could tell which one was out Alfa Romeo by looking at who is first and who is last. Um, but but nevertheless, yeah. I mean, again, uh, this uh, kind of red and white and black design was quite uh, uh, common for 1980s. Uh, yeah. because of big tobacco influence and again just to remind you we have a separate episode on big tobacco and uh, how big tobacco impacted we have two part episode uh, on that so it's quite a lot of information and uh, check it out if you're interested 1981 yeah. again um, alfa romeo as uh, a separate uh, team Yes, and uh, well, slight improvement announced in the championship uh, with the drivers uh, still Bruno Giacomelli and uh, not, more, not more successful, uh, but more famous uh, Mario uh, Andretti. But also uh, Mario Andretti was uh, already uh, quite in uh, retirement age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, we, this is also an interesting trend because, you know, the uh, smaller teams uh, were on the one hand uh, great for developing new talent because young drivers could get a seat in them, but also, uh, you know, was a place for kind of retiring uh, drivers yeah. or former champions who would end up uh, there if, if they wanted to still race. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there are a lot of different versions of the 179 and so you can uh, one of them you see uh, for example in the uh, Alfa Romeo uh, Museum but other versions they are uh, owned by private uh, collectors and luckily sometimes they are still let them drive on the different classic uh, events. I have here one of these uh, 179 typical 1980s design. You see very boxy design quite and funny a, this one that's a benetton, benetton car right exactly this is what i just wanted to, to point out this is the alfa romeo 179 uh, with uh, benetton uh, uh, livery benetton uh, colors uh, this car was um, produced this toy car was produced by uh, burago quite famous uh, for producing such little cars 
So they did uh, this 179 uh, Toika, uh, I imagine in the beginning of the 1980s, uh, but as uh, Alfa Romeo uh, in uh, 84, I think, and we come to this, switched to Benetton, uh, what, uh, what uh, did they do? They not uh, produced the new car design, but instead used the existing toy car and just painted the Benetton library on it. So something which never existed in reality, but it, it's good because I, if I would show you this one with the original Marlboro library, maybe uh, YouTube would censor us and make us uh, just available for adult viewership. Hopefully not. I mean, uh, this is uh, kind of historical cars, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we are now in 1983, where uh, the Alpha Mile came sixth in, this, in the championship. And uh, again, a very interesting design of uh, 183T. Uh, yeah. So I, I did uh, see this, uh, this car in a museum, in, in a museum format. Yeah. Um, again, quite uh, heavy on uh, tobacco uh, yeah. uh, ad ad advertisement, uh, but nevertheless, um, you know, and, and the reason probably why there was a big improvement is uh, if you look at the sky, if you're watching us on video, you can mm -hmm. see how um, uh, more aerodynamic it, yes. uh, it is compared to the previous uh, versions of Alfa Romeo cars and definitely this is already, you know, semi-competitive design that you can actually work with uh, in uh, yes. sort of racing conditions. Yes, and I think uh, it was not only, uh, the design was of course also related to the engine, if I'm correct, this was now a turbo in opposite to the 179, which still was a natural aspired uh, 12 cylinder. And uh, that's why we have and a T, T attached to 183. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's maybe the reason. Yeah. Uh, also in 83, uh, Alfa Romeo started uh, to provide uh, engines uh, to a small Italian team called uh, Osella. Osella owned by Enzo Osella. They stayed uh, around in Formula One for many years, um, unfortunately not really successful, but as we discussed uh, before, this, uh, especially in the 1980s, these small uh, teams had an important uh, role uh, to, to offer seats to young drivers coming from uh, Formula 2, for example, as in, as in uh, opposite to today uh, in the 1980s, it wasn't common that the big teams had their junior teams as today Mercedes, Red Bull, or even Ferrari have more or less the junior teams. 1984, so this was the year uh, when uh, Alfa Romeo switched from Marlboro to Benetton. So what I said, uh, this car I've showed you never existed with the Benetton library. This was only started with the 184 uh, T. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they reached, uh, managed to reach the eighth place. Um, and, um, you know, Benetton is a very uh, interesting team uh, because obviously it was nurturing a lot of talent, uh, yes. driving talent. Yeah. Exactly. So this was shortly before they became a team here. They only had been the sponsor. But of course, the car looks already like, like a Benetton. 
interest, uh, good uh, drivers, uh, by the way, uh, with Ricardo Patrese and uh, Eddie Cheever. Yeah, and here we have the photo of the uh, Osella uh, drivers, uh, quite uh, less known, Corrado Fabi and Piercarlo Ginsani. And uh, Osella, uh, in this time, uh, had been uh, mostly in this blue related uh, to Kilimata, their uh, main sponsor. Quite interesting if you compare uh, the two cars, they pretty much uh, look the same. So you may say that the Osella was based on the Alfa Romeo design. Yes, well, definitely a lot of influence there. Although, yeah, you can you can tell that the cell is slightly more kind of uh, edgy in a sense, less yes. aerodynamic compared to more sleeky Benetton. But yeah, that is enough. Yeah. But uh, pretty much uh, this the same uh, uh, idea. Yeah, 85. Um, again, the collaboration with Benetton. Yes. And uh, another, the, the worst car, uh, the, the worst car ever drawn, uh, the, uh, as Ricardo Patres said. Uh, so as you can see, Alfa Romeo was involved now in two worst possible cars. <laughs> my, my, my yeah. Yeah, uh, 7-Eleven uh, and this one, right, 185T uh, uh, yeah. car, yeah. yeah in fact, uh, you see, uh, they not not uh, have uh, any position on the championship, meaning they got uh, not uh, one point in the championship. Uh, the good thing uh, for Ricardo Patrese, uh, he hadn't uh, had to drive the car that much because as it was uh, that undrivable, they practically switched back to the 184 and drove it also in the 85 season, which uh, of course meant that the car wasn't competitive as it's already a car from uh, one year ago. Nevertheless, of course, looked very good, especially with the Benetton library. Yeah, that's right. Cute colors. And, uh... Very yeah. famous, also very famous design, yeah. Yep, but nevertheless, uh, last year for uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, as they decided, uh, doesn't bring us any marketing effect if you're not competitive for years in Formula One. So uh, they stayed uh, supporting uh, Osella and they also tried uh, to uh, deliver engine to uh, Ligier. Uh, by the way, if, if you're following us on YouTube or Spotify, this is just the JS29 Ligier from the year, but this is not the one uh, including the Alfa Romeo engine. It was tested by René Anou, who was fa famously um, not very fond of this engine. Uh, um, but nevertheless, the whole project, it not I think it not... Um, ended with the unfavorable remarks by uh, René Anou, but uh, based on the fact that uh, Fiat took over uh, Alfa Romeo, it bought it from the Italian government and uh, they decided that uh, Alfa Romeo uh, should leave Formula One, especially as they also have been involved in uh, Ferrari and of course Ferrari, uh, Fiat preferred uh, having the focus on the Ferrari team instead having of two 
teams competing in uh, Formula One. Leger was a little bit uh, surprised by Fiat's decision. So they had to look for other engine and they, they found it with Megatron. Megatron had been um, a tuner and using a former BMW engine. So it wasn't the, the Liché which ran in 87. Uh, it was a car that they developed for an Alfa Romeo engine, but at the end using the BMW uh, one. So it meant not a perfectly match, but not, that's not, not a great fit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Osala. 88. In 88, yeah. yeah. 88, uh, Osala all the time uh, continued using uh, the Alfa Romeo engine. Uh, 88 was the last year, and uh, honestly, uh, Alfa Romeo was a little bit tired, tired to get all the bad uh, uh, marketing because all the years uh, Osala wasn't competitive and Traditionally, somewhere right at the end uh, of the table. So uh, in 88, they still delivered the engine, but practically uh, they uh, uh, they forbid uh, them to use the Alfa Romeo name. So it was just uh, uh, Osella using Osella engine as Alfa Romeo said, you are not allowed to say it's our engine to avoid all this negative image. The car, by the way, was driven by uh, Nicola Larini, uh, somebody we will speak about uh, a little bit later in today's episode. Also, uh, he would uh, be a driver, uh, temporary at least for Ferrari and driving later the Sauber. Yeah, the Proca. Proca. Yes, as mentioned earlier, uh, Alfa Romeo uh, returned having a connection uh, to uh, Brabham. Uh, uh, Bernie Ecclestone not only was uh, the boss of uh, Brabham, but also uh, quite uh, the, the boss of uh, Formula One and uh, or FIA uh, motorsports in general. And FIA was thinking uh, to establish a touring car series using Formula One. Uh, technology and due to this, uh, Bernie Ecclestone asked Alfa Romeo uh, to create uh, such a car using a Formula One uh, engine. And this is how the Alfa Romeo 164 Procra was uh, born. It has the silhouette of the sedan, but inside it was really Formula One technology. Interesting project, but unfortunately, this new uh, Procra series never realized yeah, never, took never took off and uh, well never even started uh, and uh, the car later on was uh, bought by Alfa Romeo and you can see it also in the historic uh, museum Two yeah years another later. March collaboration in 1990 right and uh, we are Entering now the 1990s, uh, uh, this car, this uh, March Alfa Romeo 90 CA has a very interesting uh, backstory. Maybe we discuss it in one episode a little bit more in detail. Uh, traditionally, uh, there have been a lot of discussions in Formula One, which team should get uh, which uh, amount of money, uh, which should be the future regulations. And 
Uh, Enzo Ferrari uh, used this various times uh, to, to say, I, I want uh, these regulations, I want more money, if not, we are le leaving uh, Formula One. Uh, so if you are uh, playing this card, of course, you have uh, to follow uh, actions to make it uh, believable. And at the end of the 1980s, uh, Ferrari was developing an IndyCar and even uh, tested it uh, by um, Bobby Rehel, very famous IndyCar driver. Uh, the car you can see uh, today in the Indianapolis uh, Race Museum, but uh, it's, it's quite uh, up to discussion if really uh, Ferrari wanted to enter Indianapolis or if they just did all this development to put pressure on Bernie Ecclestone and uh, the FIA to get uh, it their way. At the end, the FIA gave in. Uh, Ferrari stayed inside uh, Formula One and meant the in Ferrari India Indianapolis project not uh, took off. Uh, but as a legacy, uh, the engine which uh, Ferrari developed had been uh, relabeled as Alfa Romeo and, uh, and uh, Alfa Romeo instead of uh, Ferrari uh, entered Indianapolis. Also, as it was a very important market, of course, also as, as uh, based on Fiat decision, of course, it makes sense having Fiat, as, uh, having Ferrari in Formula One and Alfa Romeo in the US Indianapolis series. Um, this is the way uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, this uh, project was uh, born, uh, supporting the Patrick Racing team, with, as you can see on the photo, uh, of course, very famous team, great name, by the way, not really successful, but uh, at least they had won a fourth position in 1991. Yeah, and a very uh, uh, famous design. Uh, if, you, yeah. if you're watching us on video, you can see it on the screen. So it's very cute uh, with uh, golden and uh, uh, black colors. Uh, very uh, nice looking car. Yep, and uh, Indianapolis, uh, I think it's still the same today, uh, but they, the, the chassis have been quite standardized, so yet Maybe the March, uh, you can, you bought uh, the engine from, I don't know, Mercedes, Toyota, General Motors, Chevrolet, and you bought uh, the car from March, Dallara, or whomever, and then uh, you, you put it together and you had your race car. So it's not that the teams developed uh, much themselves, very standardized, and due to this Indianapolis, the costs are much lower than Formula One. Another thing where Alfa Romeo focused uh, uh, quite heavily was uh, touring cars, uh, already uh, uh, quite famously with the Giulietta in the 1960s, but very famously uh, also the 155, which I think is the most famous touring car uh, ever produced. And especially uh, this uh, version, the class one touring cars has had been something a little bit into the direction uh, to the pro car, which we already discussed. This had been a touring car, but very, very high tech uh, technology, similar than Formula One telemetry, a lot of sensors, uh, again, a lot of high tech and very spectacular uh, to watch uh, these uh, races. And here, 1933, this is the car uh, which uh, brought the championship uh, 
for Alfa Romeo and it was driven by uh, Nicola Larini. The other car was driven by former drivers, uh, Alessandro Nannini, uh, Christian Danna, who drove a lot the, uh, the stock speed or who also drove uh, later uh, Indianapolis. And uh, the last uh, two years of uh, this uh, class one uh, series have been uh, driven uh, with the famous Martini uh, library as also known uh, in Formula One. Again, as I said, very spectacular racing car and really a turbo engine. So you see, uh, would see a lot of fire coming out at the end, very spectacular. Uh, loved by, uh, by the fans, but unfortunately, due to the high tech, the, the budgets really ran out of control. And this is what uh, uh, made, uh, gave, what finished this uh, series at the end. Yeah, very, uh, again, uh, so very famous uh, uh, Alfa Romeo touring car designs. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, a, a pity that they didn't stay, but yeah, really, uh, really nice, really nice cars. Yeah. Our final chapter, chapter six, high-tech companies. And this is, I think, uh, what describes the development in general in Formula One. These little gash companies really developed similar, like let's say uh, Apple or uh, Microsoft who started in the garage. Uh, also in Formula One, this company, developed into high-tech uh, companies with hundreds uh, of employees. And this is, I think, where we are now. And this is the third time that Alfa Romeo uh, returned. They did a soft uh, entry 2015 to 2017, uh, where they already announced that they want, uh, no, sorry, I think, in, well, in 2015, we saw the Alfa Romeo logo on, on the Ferrari car. Oh, yeah. And I think in 2007, maybe in 2016 or in 2017, they uh, announced that uh, after this, they would uh, really come back uh, into uh, um, um, a, a little bit more. Team. Yeah, separate yeah. Team the competition. Yeah, yeah uh, first not as a team, but as a uh, uh, main main sponsor uh, slash engine manufacturer right. because mm -hmm. uh, so they uh, joined up with uh, Sauber for 2018 and this was still uh, 2018 this was still only the Sauber team and Alfa Romeo uh, being a main uh, sponsor also supporting uh, being the relation to Ferrari as the engine, uh, even if the Alfa Romeo logo is, uh, let's say, over the engine, the engine, it's the uh, Ferrari one. So it's, at the end, Alfa Romeo had been the main uh, sponsor, but still the, the name of the car was uh, the Sauber. And only after this, uh, Alfa Romeo joined uh, more forces with uh, Sauber and the whole uh, team was renamed into Alfa Romeo Racing. And this is, let's say, the more or less official return uh, of uh, Alfa Romeo into modern uh, Formula One. And so it's not only uh, the logo, but Sauber had the strong connection with Ferrari, uh, not get only getting um, the engine, the, the, sa uh, the same engine as also Ferrari has, 
but also other mechanical parts uh, coming from uh, um, Maranello and I think uh, Alfa Romeo engineers are supporting this, integrating this. So we have really a holistic uh, approach here. And it's not only that they put the Alfa Romeo logo on the car. Yeah, and um, you can see if you're watching us on video, the, again, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, so these are the drivers that we showed you at the beginning as well. And uh, they are showcasing this uh, uh, C38 uh, model of Alfa Romeo. And yeah, it's great to see Alfa Romeo participating. It's always fun. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, again, it wasn't, we cannot say that it was a hugely successful year for them, the 2019, uh, there were eight, but nevertheless, uh, you know, uh, it's it's good to see Alfa Romeo back in, in the sport. Exactly, and uh, I mean, you have to be honest, uh, uh, I think um, Sauber, uh, sorry, uh, Alfa Romeo uh, racing is a little bit the junior team, so we saw uh, for example, that uh, we have the drivers from the uh, uh, Ferrari um, uh, Drivers Academy uh, being here. So it's a little, you, maybe you compared a little bit with the uh, Toro Rosso or Alpha Centauri team uh, for Red Bull and maybe uh, the, uh, uh, the other uh, Mercedes uh, factory teams. And, and with this, and uh, finally, we are... 2021. <laughs> with 2021. the same drivers, same drivers, same. Uh, Kim, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. And uh, yeah, the car that you've seen this season a lot, uh, I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, at, right at the moment, we are uh, in the middle of November 2021. The championship is still ongoing. It's still not decided who will be the champion. But not Plus, Alfa Romeo, uh, we know that for a fact. <laughs> yeah, statistically. Statistically, I think it's not possible anymore. Just for you to know, uh, when you're listening to us, maybe uh, in some months to know when it was uh, recorded. Uh, um, at the moment, Alfa uh, at the ninth position. Uh, honestly, as a lot of bad luck. I think they could have deserved a little bit better, but race luck wasn't always uh, with the team uh, this year. Uh, last, uh, both uh, drivers uh, would leave uh, uh, not only the team, but also uh, Formula One, at least for the moment. Kimi Raikkonen in retirement and Antonio Giovinazzi uh, will, uh, was, uh, uh, well, it's the Alfa Romeo decided for a, a young driver, and we come to this on the next slide. And Antonio Giovinazzi will join um, Formula E in 2022. That's right. And Formula. So big changes Formula, for Alpha. Yes. Big changes. And that's why let's, uh, our last slide. Uh, let's think where Alfa Romeo will uh, go. I mean, 2022, uh, it's quite decided. Uh, Valtteri Bottas will, uh, let's say, replace Kimi Raiken, one Finnish driver replacing another Finnish driver. Um, there have been some uh, quite nice statistics this year on social media uh, uh, showing the statistics from Valtteri Bottas uh, before he announced his change to Alfa Romeo and after his uh, uh, announced change and practically saying that uh, after it was announced, uh, 
if uh, he got more points than Max Verstappen or uh, Lewis Hamilton. So if the Formula One season would have started at the point where he uh, announced uh, becoming part of Alfa Romeo, he would win the championship. Quite interesting statistics if you want to do the calculations yourself. Um, just announced uh, Gongzhu Su as the second driver, the first Chinese Formula One driver. Of course, makes sense. China, very important market for Alfa Romeo, for Ferrari. But uh, I'm sure uh, the whole fear is happy because China, of course, also a big uh, uh, market for Formula One itself. So I think uh, not only Alfa Romeo happy having a Chinese driver, um, I'm sure the whole FIA management is happy and may have motivated uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber to get Zhang uh, Su as a driver. Yeah, and uh, probably will bring yes. some interesting uh, Chinese sponsorships. So let's see what of course. Uh, what the car looks like next year. Yeah, so definitely that's uh, that's an interesting thing to look forward to. Of course, uh, I mean, uh, who's uh, Zhang Su? I remember uh, uh, saw his name last year, the first time as uh, due to COVID, we had uh, these um, virtual races and uh, he won uh, the first uh, virtual race. So it seems to be a good virtual racer, uh, something which he has in common uh, with um, uh, uh, Lando Norris. Uh, who also a very good uh, simulation driver, e-driver and you know he's now uh, with uh, McLaren sorry with uh, Mercedes or he's coming from McLaren to Mercedes next year so uh, this will be quite, quite interesting to see if maybe the modern Formula One drivers uh, have to be good uh, virtual drivers so this would be again an, a change in the sports itself uh, maybe not everybody will appreciate it that we have practically now video game drivers to say it a little bit provoking but yeah. let's say this is the way the sports may develop um, yeah let's see this, let's uh, see how he does in three dimensions or four, four dimensions exactly, <laughs> exactly. yeah so yeah uh, that's what, exactly that's what i wanted to say uh Jansu, uh, he was uh, uh in 20, uh, now in 2021, he's uh, driving F2. He's on the second position. Uh, the year before, he has won the Asian Formula 3 Championship. Uh, so he has talent, maybe not, uh, not that's uh, uh, um, convincing as, as other drivers who, who uh, joined uh, Formula 1 directly after Formula 3. Uh, so maybe, uh, I don't think he's a pure um, pay driver, but uh, how strong is his talent? Uh, how uh, where will his talent bring him? This is something we, which we have uh, to see. The time will tell, yeah. Exactly, and, and by the way, uh, he has uh, ex a little bit experience with Formula 1 as his actual testing driver for Alpine. Mm -hmm. Okay, but let's say... On, on the long run, where will Alfa Romeo Formula One will uh, be the next years? Uh, important here, Alfa Romeo announced their plan to become 100% electric by 2027. And due to this, we may have our doubts how long term Alfa Romeo will stay because at the end for them, it's 
it's uh, marketing. And if you're not selling combustible engines, car, it doesn't uh, look to be that logical uh, to be in Formula One with combustible engine. So maybe 2027, I'll, this will be also something like uh, the last year, at least if they continue with the strategy. Uh, and maybe we will see after this Alfa Romeo in a new electric series, uh, which could be Formula E or on the long run, as maybe it will be something different, something like Formula One, where everybody is developing their own cars and they just will be using electric drive instead of combustible engine because the problem with Formula E is it's highly standardized as it wants to promote to market electric drive itself, but not a particular manufacturer. Okay, that's yeah, on everything that, uh, today. On that uh, not not very happy note, so we don't actually. So I, I certainly hope that uh, Alfa Romeo is not going to exit in uh, 2027, yeah. um, uh, and we will see a, a lot more from them. So certainly very curious about what's going to happen next year with the reshuffle of the driving team and. Uh, yeah, uh, on, on, uh, with this, uh, we end the second part of uh, the Alfa Romeo uh, uh, two-part episode. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, our main base is YouTube, but you can also now see our video on Spotify. And thanks to Patrick, we are present on practically all podcast plat platforms. Uh, thanks for being with us. and. Uh, uh, again, uh, I just want to repeat my question uh, to you. Uh, so we uh, kind of saw two uh, <laughs> two designs that were labeled like the worst cars ever that uh, Alfa Romeo participated in in, in building. But uh, you don't we don't have to agree with uh, the drivers uh, on that. So if you have uh, uh, thoughts on what uh, what car design in Formula One was the worst ever? Let us know in comments to this video. And thanks yeah, a lot. Just, for yeah, being with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, just to defend Alfa Romeo, uh, the March 7011, the quote from Nicky Lauda uh, was related to uh, uh, his experience, and uh, he never drove the version with the Alfa Romeo engine, but with the normal Cosworth. So. It, it was the March 7-11 using the Alfa Romeo uh, engine, but uh, uh, it's not the design was completely done by March independently. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, don't uh, I, yeah, don't want to end on on the on the so the note that we kind of we hate out uh, we hate Alfa Romeo. Of course, we don't. Uh, we, we love Alfa Romeo. Otherwise, we wouldn't be yes. here talking about it. It's uh, exactly um, uh, great car manufacturer, fantastic, uh, absolutely fantastic engineering work and uh, producing great engines. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of, as you could see, uh, hopefully we explained uh, some of the reasoning why they were not very yep. successful um, in recent years in Formula One. But if we take the beginning of Formula One, this was the, the team. Uh, but um, I think uh, most of the time, as, as we find as we find in, uh, in our research, it's uh, essentially down to management, right? And maybe if they didn't exit uh, so early when they were on the high uh, from uh, formula, if they didn't withdraw from Formula One back uh, in uh, 
uh, back in the 50s, it would have been probably, you know, who knows, maybe they would have been even greater uh, a team than Ferrari at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we, and besides, it was a lot of uh, management uh, decision as uh, in the meantime, where they had been outside Formula One, they had been very successful with the um, motorsports endurance with the Alfa Romeo 33. They have been very successful with uh, touring cars. So uh, they, they've proven they would have had the capabilities to be successful, but in this particular reason, especially as they returned uh, end of the 70s after they left uh, Brabham, the success was quite limited and uh, due to the particular reasons right at that point. Yeah, so but let's not uh, discount uh, uh, discount them. So obviously there is no, next season uh, 2022. And as usual uh, with uh, Patrick, we would like to encourage you to just not take our word for it, but read about yes. Alfa Romeo. So there will be some suggestions, obviously, from Patrick. Uh, Patrick always has very good suggestions for for, for books and uh, resources yes. uh, in comments to this uh, in description of this video on YouTube um uh, as well as in in descriptions for other platforms um and uh, yeah we also would like to encourage you to visit the alfa romeo museum which is uh, yeah. in, in, in absolutely incredible place and uh, yeah. yeah so so if you if you get a chance uh, um uh, ab you absolutely should should see it it's uh, worth it exactly and uh, um... It's a really an incredible place and it's uh, not only showing the history of Alfa Romeo, but somehow also the uh, history uh, of Italian car manufacturing or you may say even Italian design in general. And if I uh, remember it right, due to this, it's not only financed uh, by Alfa Romeo Fiat, but also uh, by the city of Milan or the uh, region of um, uh, Lombardia as it's really part of the history and uh, they really did a great wonderful job uh, having uh, having this uh, museum and uh, you find there people uh, who really love the brand and uh, answer all your questions and uh, if you can uh, schedule your meeting a little bit uh, before uh, call them and then if you're lucky you also get uh, access uh, to the uh, lower levels where you see the cars which are not part of the uh, daily exhibition but if you uh, ask them I want to see that particular car they can uh, uh, show you uh, also this level and, uh, uh, and show you and explain you the cars you are interested in. Yeah, so here, so on this happy note, now we can end exactly. this episode. And uh, yeah, definitely we want to celebrate Alfa Romeo and uh, the general success as a car manufacturer. And uh, yeah, um, thanks for being with us today and uh, we hope to see you next time. Yeah. See you.